All right, well, we are beginning today our sermon series called Listen. Um, this is our series uh, of sermons following the, the day of Epiphany. Um, we're not a hugely liturgical church, although we do uh, follow the church here. But just a few days ago was the day of Epiphany, in which um, Epiphany sounds like a big church word, but what it really means is revelation or light has come or the ability to see right think something hidden has been revealed um, and so we're in this season uh, in the life of the church called the the season after epiphany and, and we're going to be spending the next several weeks um, with this idea of listen uh, to give away the punchline on the, the last Sunday of a of this season is transfiguration Sunday um, when we'll get into that when that comes, but there's a moment where Jesus is standing and God speaks about him. And he says, this is my son, listen to him. And so the, the foundation for this series is now that like, we went through Advent, we were waiting, right? What are we waiting for? We asked that question. Then we went to Christmas and we celebrated, he's here. Now the question might be, well, what are we supposed to do now that he's here? And the answer is, listen. Right? That's the command that, Jesus, um, that God gives us about Jesus, that we are to listen to him. And so that'll be the foundation for everything we do for the next several weeks. Um, but as we get started this morning, I have a question for you. Have you ever had a first day? First day at a new school, first day at a new job, um, first day at a new whatever, right? First day. And with that comes excitement, right? There are new possibilities and potential. Uh, might be getting to see um, your new work environment, figure out what you're going to be doing. Maybe it's uh, see what your classes are going to be like, all those types of things, right? The first day. But it can also be intimidating. Have you ever been nervous, anxious about your first day? Um, what makes, despite all the excitement and the possibilities, what makes first days nerve-wracking is the fact that we don't, know things and the biggest thing we don't know is the people right we might not belong we might not fit in um, this for me I when I was thinking about this I was thinking of my freshman orientation when I was a, a student at Olivet so you go before classes start you go to this orientation and um, it, it's supposed to help get you acquainted with the school and with you know the way things are but also to meet some people and, and going into Olivet, I, I didn't grow up Nazarene, so I, I, I didn't have any of those connections. And I, I was a commuter student, uh, which meant I didn't live in the dorms. I just drove in from my, I lived about 20 minutes away. <laughs> and so orientation uh, for me was this idea of I was going to go and, and meet new people and figure things out. I'd never been on the campus before. I'd done all these things, right? And I got to orientation, and I waited in the line and checked in and got my little name tag, lanyard thing. And then they said, well, you're in group, whatever. I don't remember exactly how they broke it out, but they put us in small groups of 10 or 12 people. And so I went and I found my group. And it seemed like everybody in that group knew everybody else already. Um, most of them had grown up Nazarene, and so they had gone to camps together or done Celebrate Life together. And, and looking back now, I, I know that, that their connections were probably less... Um, weren't as deep as I thought they were at the time, but it didn't seem fair to me as a freshman thinking this was a day where everybody was going to be on an even playing field. We were all going to meet each other new for the first time and get to know 
everything going on the first time. And it felt like everybody already knew each other. They knew their way around campus because Celebrate Life was on campus or they had come early or they had siblings that were there or their parents or grandparents had gone there. It felt like an outsider. It was a really awkward, awkward orientation. Um, I had this... I went home and I, I told my mom, I said, I think school's going to be great, but everybody already knows everybody. Now, if you fast forward uh, several years, that was 1998, um, you fast forward to 2022, just this last year, uh, I was on campus twice, once for Celebrate Life and once for an ONU trustee meeting. I went back to that same location, same buildings, same spaces that I was uh, feeling like the outsider during orientation on, in 1998. In 2022, I went, but everywhere I went, there was people that were happy to see me. Um, it was familiar. It was comfortable. I felt like I was home. In fact, when, when Jessica and I talk about, with our kids about being home or going home, we're often talking about Olivet and, and the area around that. It felt like a family reunion um, going back on campus. So how can the same place in 1998 be, I don't belong here, and in 2022 being, this is home, and this is my family, right? How, how can that same place um, have such a wide spectrum of feelings for myself? And the, the truth is, it's not the geography, it's not the physical location, it's not the the buildings themselves or the fact that I was at a specific place on a map that matters. It's, it's the belonging to a community that made the difference, right? See, what had happened between the time that I was a freshman in orientation and last year when I went back, sure, I was, I was a student there for, for several years, uh, more than four, we'll just leave it at that, um, and I was still a commuter student, and I still felt like an outsider, but then I went and did master's work, and then I went and worked at Olivet for several years, and Jessica worked at Olivet, and my kids, uh, two of them were born while we were working there. It be, had become our home. It's not the geography that matters, it's the sense of belonging that makes the difference. So keep that in mind today as we read through uh, our scripture for today. We're going to look for a text from Ephesians. This is a New Testament um, a letter that, that the Apostle Paul writes to a church. Um, so it's, it's, it's about Jesus, but it's not, um, it's to a church after the time of Jesus, right? And he's, he's writing to this church, and he's going to explain to them why church matters. He's going to explain to them why he does what he does, right? So this is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screen, so you can follow along. Um, there's Bibles in the chairs or on your device if you'd like, but Ephesians 3, 1 through 12 says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the people in other generations as it has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. 
I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, according to the eternal purpose that he had accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wondrous spirit, we pray that you would gather our minds that they may be one with you. Open our ears that we may hear your word. Soften our hearts that they may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. If you remember the Christmas sermon, the the sermon that I preached on Christmas morning, uh, one of the the scripture verses, the very first verse in that, that text that we looked at that morning, said, those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Um... Again, this idea of darkness and light ties into the season of epiphany that we're in now. But if you remember that Sunday morning, I said that darkness, oftentimes we think of that as as evil, but in biblical understandings, it's really a mystery. It's something hidden. It's something confused. It's something jumbled up. It's it's a mystery that has yet to be revealed. It's confusion. It's chaos. It's, It's that which isn't known, something that is hidden. Light on the other hand, is revelation, it's understanding, it's comprehension, it's, it's seeing and, and uh, observing that which has now been revealed. And so our text today that we just read, Ephesians, it's very churchy words at times. Paul's letters can be a bit wordy and a, and a bit heavy at times, but um, our text today mentions a few times that there was a mystery that has been revealed, right? So he ties right into this. Again, you see the the darkness and the light, mystery and revelation, and that's right where our text picks up today. A mystery has been made known through revelation, and it was a mystery, as Paul says, of Christ, not known by previous generations. So previous generations were in darkness, and now with Christ coming, there's light. This is very much the Christmas message that I preached. Um, And that shows up in verses 4 and 5, mystery of Christ, unknown to those before Jesus. But now it is revealed through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles and the prophets. That's what verse 5 tells us here. And if you skip all the way ahead to verse 9, Paul says that the mission he has, his mission, is to make plain this mystery. Which now, until now, had been hidden in God. Right, so, so it's, it's darkness, it's mystery that's been revealed in Jesus, and now his mission is to help reveal what has been revealed in Jesus. Tracking so far? This is, this is the logic of this passage. It's God's plan, says Paul here, that through the church, everyone, rulers and kings, would come to understand this mystery now revealed. So what was this mystery that for generations was hidden? What was this unknown thing, this, this, this 
truth that could not be comprehended that was revealed when Jesus came? What was this mystery? What does the gospel of Jesus make clear? What does the church being gathered in faithful obedience to King Jesus reveal? What long-hidden wisdom has been revealed through a community of people gathered by their identity as followers of Jesus, as followers of King Jesus? Well, I'm going to have verse 6 on the screen. This is where Paul is talking about that mystery. He says that mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shared uh, together, or sharers together in the promises of Jesus Christ. Right? So what mystery has been revealed, what, what was hidden from previous generations, what has been made known through the gospel of Jesus, Paul here says it is that Gentiles, non-Jewish people, are heirs to the kingdom with the Jewish people. The gospel is the announcement that Jesus is king. Remember, I've said this several times before, when we talk about gospel, sometimes we, we default to like five steps to getting saved or how do you get to heaven or um, you know, a plan or a formula or a graph or something. But at its root, the gospel is the announcement that Jesus is king. It's a proclamation. It's the messengers announcing that Jesus is king. King Jesus saves us, he heals us, he forgives us, he gives us gifts of grace, but the gospel itself is the headline. It's the breaking news. It's, it's the newspaper on, on your doorstep. It's the, the push notification on, on your phone, the announcement that Jesus is king. Breaking news, Jesus is king. And so this ties into the Jewish hope for a Messiah, right? We talk about that at Christmas time, that they've been waiting for a Messiah all these years, and, you know, the hopes and fears of all the years, right? Like, it's a very Christmassy type of thing. We talk about it uh, at that time of year, the hope for this Messiah. Well, at its root, Messiah means anointed one, one that God has anointed, right? And, and what that means in practical terms is that that's God's chosen king, Right, so what they were waiting for, when they say Messiah, when you, when you hear the word Messiah, what, what you're really asking for or looking for is the king that God chose. And the way that, that they would know who the Messiah was, who the God's chosen king was, would be evidenced through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not by armies, not by wealth, not by all these other things, but by the Holy Spirit showing up. Think of the baptism of Jesus when he comes up out of the water and the spirit descends upon him, right? Comes down like a dove. This is evidence that God is anointing him. This is God's chosen. And then all the signs and miracles he performs is evidence that he is who he says he is or he is who they were looking for. This is evidence that he is God's chosen king for Israel. And Israel and Judah had long hoped for this king. They, they wanted this king that was sent by God to rule them. If you read through, and I mentioned this when we were going through our Advent series, the problem that the Old Testament prophets talk about the most is we have bad kings. We're being led astray. And so they're hoping for the good king that will lead them in proper worship, that would lead them in obedience to God, that would lead them in the paths that lead to life and righteousness. Bad kings were these bad shepherds which led to big problems for God's people. And so the hope was a righteous king. They wanted the right king to lead them. That's 
much of the Old Testament. And so it wasn't a surprise. They weren't caught off guard when Jesus shows up and is announced to be a king. They were expecting a king. That's why so many of the people followed him. They were looking for a king. They were expecting a king. It was not a surprise. The mystery here was not that God was going to send a king. What was hidden in darkness that was revealed in Jesus was that that king would not only rule the Jewish people, but the Gentiles too. Gentile being non-Jewish, right? So the Jewish people had a very distinct identity, right? They were very deeply formed in their identity. They had distinct practices that made them Jewish. They had distinct beliefs that made them Jewish to set them apart from everybody else. They had their Torah, the teaching, the law that was very distinctive, that defined who they were, how they lived. And even in the presence of their enemies, even living in exile, they could remain Jewish because of this distinct identity. The Torah, the law, the temple was distinctively Jewish. It was a place where they could worship the God of the Jews, right? It was where Yahweh dwelled, the king of the or the God of the Jews. They had a distinctive lineage. They were children of Abraham that defined who they were. They were uh, descendants of Moses and descendants of Jacob, who becomes Israel. Like they had a very distinct history, a lineage. They knew who they were. And they had a distinctive shared experience. Their people experienced exodus. They'd experienced wilderness time. They'd entered into the land that their God had given them. They had together been exiled. So they were very distinctive people. Their their community was very clearly defined by these practices and beliefs and experiences. And Gentiles were the outsiders. They were something else. They were anything else. They were everything else. At their best, Gentiles were viewed as a distraction or a nuisance. Like, let's not get caught up in what they're doing. That distracts us from what God's up to. At their worst, Gentiles were viewed as threats to Israel and Judah. They would attack us, or they would corrupt us. They would lead us to worship idols. They would cause us to forget our God. In fact, the long-hoped-for king, the Messiah that they wanted, their idea was that he would protect them from the Gentiles. Or even better yet, when the long-awaited king would show up, he would defeat the Gentiles, right? This us-versus-them mentality was, was prevalent. They were very distinctive people, and they, they were looking for their king sent by their God to save their people. But our text today announces that Jesus is king of not only the Jews, but of the Gentiles as well. The Christ, the Messiah, God's chosen king, would not only set things right for the Jewish people, but for all people, for all creation. And this is the mystery that's revealed that Paul is talking about here. Jesus, as the light, makes it known that Jew and Gentile would experience salvation, healing, redemption, and reconciliation as they live in faithful obedience to God's anointed king, King Jesus. This is the message that Paul says is being announced and revealed. And this by itself is an incredible message. Imagine the shock for the Jewish people who first heard this message that Gentiles will follow and serve their king. Imagine the surprise for Gentiles to hear that they can be included in God's plan 
and can serve the Christ in the kingdom of God. And if you have a hard time understanding just how profound an impact this was, imagine in, in a year from now, a year and a half from now, almost two years from now, we have our next presidential election for the United States. And as they announce the results of that election, we get word that the country of China is just going to submit to the leadership of whoever we've elected. Or Canada and Mexico are going to just follow our president. Right? Or, or, or any of the other nations around the, around the globe said, well, you've elected this president, that's your president, but we're going to follow him or her. That's the shock that's going on here. Right? That our king is going to be king of everybody. And so much of the New Testament addresses that message and is a reaction to it. That Jesus is king of all. We say that so much that it's... It, it easily rolls off the tongues without much notice, but in the original hearing, this would have been shocking. In fact, the book of Romans, one of the most profound theological documents that we have, one of the most powerful books in the Bible that we have explaining what Jesus is and what he's about and what it means to be in the church, that book of Romans isn't technically a theology book on how Gentiles can go to heaven, but rather it's a letter on how to work through the revelation that not only are Gentiles welcome in the kingdom of God, but they are heirs. They're equals to the Jewish people. There was debates in the early church. It, it almost killed the early church because there was these debates about Gentiles' eating habits. They don't eat the right stuff. There was debates about their uh, status of circumcision. I'm not going to go into that. There was debates about how much Torah they were expected to practice. Did they have to become Jewish to become Christian? To follow King Jesus, do you have to be Jewish? This was the, the debate that almost tore apart the early church and in fact had some real damage. And, and much of Romans is dealing with that. Much of the New Testament is actually working through those tensions. And the Apostle Paul says that God announces that Jews and Gentiles both belong in the kingdom of God. They both serve King Jesus, he says. They are, in fact, both part of the same body. See how crazy this message is? How radical? This is the, the mystery that had been hidden for generations, that had been unexpected. Nobody saw this coming. Although there was hints of it, when you, when you look backwards, having seen this mystery, you hear echoes of it in the Old Testament, that all nations were going to come and worship on the mountain of the Lord, that God was going to, to redeem and heal all creation, that any who seek him would find, right? We have these echoes in the Old Testament, but the popular idea, the, the mentality was that this was a mystery. People weren't sitting there going, oh, we need the Messiah to show up to be king of everybody. They were looking for the king of the Jews, and as scandalous and as shocking as this message might be, Paul makes another claim in our text today that I think is even more important. So if your head's kind of spinning by this, just hang on. Because I'm not trying to minimize the importance of the inclusions of the Gentiles in the kingdom of God as a revelation that came with the kingship of Jesus, but rather I want to build on the significance of that announcement by asking this question. How is the inclusion of the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, 
how is the inclusion of non-Jewish people in the kingdom of God announced? How is that invitation, how is that truth proclaimed? Or maybe a better question is, who is announcing that Jew and Gentile are gathered together in one body under the authority of King Jesus? Who's announcing that truth? By what means will the world know this newly revealed truth? Well, we're going to put verse 10 on the screen. Paul answers this question in his letter. He says, his, meaning God's, intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. How will the world know that Jesus is not only the Jewish Messiah, but king of all people, king of all creation? How will they know? Paul says it's announced through the church's faithful obedience to King Jesus. Jews and Gentiles living together as brothers and sisters, gathered together into one body under the reign and rule of King Jesus. And so upon hearing that, you, you may realize that the church's mission is nothing less than announcing that Jesus is king of all people and all of creation. And we announce that through the way that we live in community together. When you realize that, you start to see that the gospel of Jesus, and this is going to sound very wrong to modern ears or western ears, but the gospel of Jesus is more about what we belong to than ideas that we believe. And if that makes you a little uncomfortable, just hang on for a moment. The gospel of Jesus is more about what we belong to than ideas that we believe. Pastor Will read our scripture uh, for today, um, the one that I'm preaching from. He, he read it ahead of time, and we kind of share ideas and notes and stuff, um, and I appreciate his input. He, he read this, and he said, the gospel's good news is for everyone, and everyone is invited to participate. Paul's metaphor of the body tells us that belonging to the family of God is far more than a loose connection or a general affiliation. It's deeply connected, and the function of the whole depends on the parts working together. I thought that was such a great statement that I just quoted the whole thing. I just took Will's words and put it right into my sermon. Because um, I think it speaks clearly to what we're talking about this morning. And so in, in this framework that the Apostle Paul is, is writing to, in, in, in this setup where this mystery is revealed through the church living in community, um, you start to see some things. You can say that the church might be an organization of religious people, but at its root is not a religious organization. The church is not a gathering place for individuals who believe similar things. The church at its root is not just a charity, a charitable organization, non-for-profit. The church is not the morality police for a culture or for society. According to the Bible, according to this scripture we just read, the church is the gathered people, Jewish and Gentile, living in faithful obedience to King Jesus, which in turn announces the lordship of Jesus over all of creation. The church is the gathered people living in obedience to King Jesus, who through that faithful obedience announces Jesus' lordship over all creation. This is why the church is so important to me, and this is honestly the reason why I pastor. 
Uh, I don't like being the center of attention. I don't like telling people what to do. I've never enjoyed being the boss. But I love the church and committed my life to ministry in and through the church because the church is intended to be a community shaped by holy belonging. There's this announcement that all who are seeking can come and can find a place to belong. When a church is faithful and healthy, it announces a truth that cannot be heard anywhere else. Jesus is king of all. The work of the church is to celebrate and draw attention to King Jesus. When we as a group or individuals attempt to use the church to make ourselves the heroes of the story, to use the church to put a spotlight on ourselves or to let people know how great we are, we've missed the whole point of church and things go terribly wrong. The church is a community or a family gathered together by faith in Jesus. And belonging to the family of God is far more, as Will said, than a loose connection or a general affiliation. Belonging is defined as a feeling of security and support, where there's a sense of acceptance, inclusion, or identity for a member as part of a certain group. So why all this talk about belonging in the church this morning? Why is this the topic of the sermon for today? Well, one of the most profound, unintended consequences of our modern life is a lack of belonging. We have set out as a culture, as a society, as a a world um, to create a, a, a life. But one of the unintended consequences, one of the the side effects that showed up in this life as we've shaped it today is a lack of belonging, isolation, loneliness. Nobody's sad about, so let's let's create a world in which people feel lonely or isolated, but that's this unintended consequence, the side effect of our lives. These busy lives keep us too busy to have real connection, real meaning with uh, meaningful relationships. Technology, communication, social media can make us feel like we're connected with people at some level, but in reality, it actually makes us feel farther apart. Uh, The modern world which offers mobility means we can travel anywhere, we can move to go find that job or go to that school or to move to that place that has that opportunity. We are easily able to relocate and so families are scattered literally around the world. There's broken families, unhealed relationships that just are never resolved, loss of neighborhood identity. As life gets busy, as life moves online, the physical neighborhoods become less important, less critical. Pastor Will has talked often about just meeting our neighbors and knowing our neighbors. We've had this loss of neighborhood identity and a sense of community. There's a scarcity mindset. We start seeing the global picture. We start seeing all these other people that are striving for things and and we start to see others as competition rather than family or neighbors. And there's fear that undergirds all of that, that if I don't work hard enough, if I don't get enough, if I don't do this the particular way, I won't have what I need. And so instead of embracing one another, we are afraid of one another. Or just in the way that our modern lives are structured, there might be 
producing a tremendous amount of insecurity. As we look online, as we look and hear about all these other people doing great things and seeing their pictures of their great vacations and their new jobs and their new houses and their, all these different things, promotions and all the different things that everybody around the world is doing, you might go, oh man, what if I don't measure up? What if I'm not as good as they are? What if other people find out what I'm really like? It creates an environment in which we have to put forth a false sense of self to protect what really lies underneath? What if others find out what I'm really like? You can't have authentic relationship, authentic community if you're pretending to be something which you're not. And so despite the fact that people have hundreds or even thousands of connections on social media that you can text and call, FaceTime, Zoom 24 hours a day, you can fly from one end of the country to the other in just a few hours, People are more alone, isolated, disconnected, and despairing than ever before. Loneliness has been described as an epidemic in our country. People are looking for a place where they belong, a place where they are known by other people, a place where they matter, where people care about them and truly want them to do well. People are looking for a place where they can learn how to live lives filled with love and with peace place where they can feel safe and secure, a place where sins can be forgiven, but not just forgiven, but overcome, a place where they can become who they are meant to be. Their people are looking for a place to heal, a place where character matters, where conflicts are met with confession, reconciliation, and peace. The people in our communities and our neighborhoods are desperate to belong. They're desperate to find a place that feels like home. And we as the church have the greatest invitation and message of belonging. We have a message that nobody else has. Jesus is king of all. He's not just king of the chosen few, but king of all who desire him. So first of all, if you are one of those seeking to belong, if you are, are, are finding yourself resonating with this, as I'm talking about loneliness or despair or, or feeling isolated separated, afraid, if you've found yourself here this morning and you're one of those people seeking a sense of belonging, we want you to know that you can belong here. We aren't perfect, but King Jesus teaches us to confess and change when we mess up. We definitely don't know everything, but we seek our godly wisdom. We seek out godly wisdom when we need answers and direction. We don't always agree on everything, but we value community and unity over winning. We aren't the most successful in worldly team terms, but Jesus teaches us that humility and community is more important than power and control. So if you're looking for a place to belong this morning where you can be known, where you can be loved, where you can be invited to grow, where you can experience accountability and responsibility as part of a community, the church is the place for you. But if you are already a part of the church and you love it for what it has meant to you throughout your life, I want to invite you to join in on that church's mission of helping others belong to this family of God. We aren't trying to show people how cool we are. We aren't trying to tell people how great we are, how important we are. We aren't trying to convince them that we have all the answers. We're not trying to impress people with our knowledge or our status. We're working on being a church that announces the great news that Jesus is king of all people. If Gentiles can belong to the kingdom of God, then anyone can be a part of God's creation. 
And we as the church are given the task of inviting, equipping, and empowering people to belong and to live faithfully obedient lives as part of God's family. And so as we start a new year, our goal is not to get people to believe exactly what we believe. That's not our mission as the church, to convince people that our ideas are the right ideas. Rather, we want them to belong to the family that the family of God that we belong to. To experience the new life, the blessing, the salvation, the healing, and holiness that comes from faith in Jesus. And so that's our mission as we start out 2023. If you're looking for a place to belong, the church is the place where you can belong and a level of depth that you will not find anywhere else. Jesus is king of all. But if you're part of the church and you're, you're saying, what are we supposed to be doing? How do I live faithfully as a follower of Jesus? The answer is equip, invite, empower others to belong to the family as well. And so as we come to this point where I'm going to conclude this message, um, I made the decision a while ago that through this epiphany, season of, after epiphany, I'm going to conclude every message with a prayer of confession. Um, if you were around during Lent last year maybe maybe even two years ago this is a prayer that I used on occasion Um, it'll be on the screens I'm going to invite you to pray it out loud with me you might be saying why do I need to pray a prayer confession I haven't done anything wrong Um, which awesome if that's if that's true if you haven't done anything wrong more power to you Um, but you'll notice that the words the pronouns up there are we we confess as a body, right? The, the church as, it's, as a family doesn't get everything right all the time. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to pray this prayer of confession together as a body. And at the end, I have the privilege, the responsibility as the pastor, to stand in a priestly role for that moment and announce absolution, announce forgiveness, Announce the mercy of God upon us, right? Because where there's confession, where there's contrite hearts, where there's repentance, there's mercy. And so we're going to read this together, and then I will pronounce God's mercy upon us together. Um, So I invite you to turn your eyes to the screen. Hopefully it's large enough for you to be able to see where you're at. Um, If not, uh, mumble along and and join in spirit, I guess. Let's, Let's pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is merciful to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. And so it is in the name of Jesus Christ that your sins are forgiven. Uh, Let me